Welcome back to Writers on Writing. I'm your host, Marie Stone. Maybe you heard the show is celebrating an important milestone this year, 25 years. 25 years of author interviews, which is very much blowing my mind. Barbara started the show in a little college radio station in 1998, and we are still here. Well, we're not there, but we're, we're here with you. And this month, April 2023, marks the one-year anniversary of our Patreon page. So we're celebrating all month long with gifts and thanks to you, our listeners. Barbara and I are doing a special anniversary show together this month, which will involve lots of silliness. I'm sure we're going to share some old stories and favorite interviews. We'll be doing special shout outs to all of our existing patrons. I'm giving a tour of my home studio, which is my closet, and it involves a lot of pillows and a cat tree. It's ridiculous. I don't know what Barbara is doing, but the whole thing will probably involve wine and balloons and who knows what else. Stay tuned for that. I'm also doing a special show just for the Patreon page about a new book out that I just love. It is set in my town of Laguna Beach. It's self-published. So we're going to be talking a lot about the world of self-publishing, which we don't do very often. That's for patrons only. And best of all, we're giving out books and bookmarks to our existing patrons and new patrons who sign up this month. So if you join or you have joined as a $10 member or above and you write to me, this is key, you have to write to me, you get a surprise book in the mail and a writer's on writing bookmark. If you join at the $5 level or if you're already a $5 patron and you write to me, you get a bookmark. So if you have been on the fence about joining, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash writers on writing and see all of the benefits you get for your membership. It is a great time to join. April is your month. Okay, onward. In 2007, one month after I joined the show, I interviewed Jenny Nash for her novel, The Last Beach Bungalow. Since then, Jenny switched hats from full-time fiction writer to full-time book coach. She is the founder of Author Accelerator, a book coaching service that has helped hundreds of writers complete their book projects. Her clients have landed at top New York agents. They've snagged five and six figure deals from publishers such as Scribner, Simon & Schuster, Penguin, and Norton. They've hit the New York Times and Wall Street Journal's bestseller lists. They have been chosen for Reese Witherspoon Book Club picks and won dozens of National Indie Book Awards. Jenny has spent 30 years on all sides of the publishing industry and is the author of four novels, three memoirs, and four self-help books for writers, including The Writer's Guide to Agony and Defeat, uh, The Blueprint for a Book, Build Your Novel from the Inside Out, Blueprint for a Nonfiction Book, Plan and Pitch Your Big Idea, and Read Books All Day and Get Paid for It. Clearly, we have a lot to talk about. Jenny, it's taken me 16 years to say this, but welcome back. Thank you. I'm just chuckling listening to that intro because things happen over time, don't they? Oh, my God. Tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So catch me up on the move from fiction writer to book coach and how, how that came about. Wow, I know, 16 years. Let me see if I can encapsulate it. 
as as you said so beautifully i was i was a fiction writer that's what i was doing i was all in on that and i was a solid mid-list writer which is what we all know not really the place you want to be right? like you want to either be a debut with all of the promise ahead of you or top of the list where all the the money and the power is behind you and being in the middle is a good place to be but it, it's also a hard place to be and around the time that my writing career sort of was it was clear that I wasn't going to be able to, I kept trying to break out of the mid list. I kept trying, I kept thinking that I could outthink it, the marketplace, out strategize it, all of that sort of thing. And it turns out you can't really do that. You can only do the best that you can do. And so I was floundering a little bit. And around that time, I started teaching writing at UCLA, at the UCLA Extension Writers Program, which is one of the largest adult education writing programs in the country. And I loved teaching and I, I really thought that that's what I would do and that's the direction I would go. But I also became increasingly frustrated with the way that writing is taught. We, we default to teaching in small bits and in things that are teachable. So craft issues around writing are always big, how to pitch query letters, little snippets that you can pull out how to write a scene. Nobody was really teaching how to write a book. And that was my real interest. And so I was growing increasingly frustrated with that. And I had the opportunity, which fell into my lap, to coach one of my colleagues. She asked if she if I would coach her from nothing. And she was an agent who had a lot of ideas about writing and about story structure and narrative design and all, all of the things that one must do. And so I started devising a program to help her go from this vague idea to a finished book. And her project turned into a two book deal at 10 speed, which is a imprint of random house. And that two book deal launched her into the stratosphere in the writing world. Those books were Wired for Story and Story Genius by Lisa Cron. Mm -hmm. And once that happened, I was a book coach. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, everybody wanted to work with me. I had people lining up wanting to do this process. And I saw how incredibly efficient it was and effective. And it just was, to me, the right way to go. So I, I pivoted to being a book coach. I feel like this is such a long story. Marie. No, I love it. I love it. This is what I want to know. I pivoted to being, being a book coach, which I loved. I loved being one-on-one -on -one, helping writers really honing in on their idea and their words and their goal and their process and their habits. It, it centers the writer as well as the writing. And it, it just used so many more of my talents. I, I believe I'm a better book coach than I ever was a writer. And it just, it was great. It was fun, all was good. And then I pivoted again when a young man from UCLA from the Entrepreneurial Center heard me speak and, and said that what I was doing was scalable. And that was a word I didn't even understand. I didn't know what it meant. I was not thinking in any way, shape or form about spreading this or 
or teaching the process or anything, but he showed me that that could be something we do. And we started Author Accelerator and it's now we're in our 10th year certifying coaches, training and supporting other book coaches. And that has now become my thing. And I love it even more than I did. I still coach actually, I'm never gonna not coach, but I'm now devoted to evangelizing for book coaching and helping others to learn this amazing work. I love this story. I mean, it strikes me that publishing itself has undergone so many changes. I mean, I think we're roughly similar age just within our lifetime. But I mean, you know, when you think back on the John Cheevers or, you know, Raymond Carvers of the world, it doesn't look anything like that anymore. And so, I mean, it used to be, correct me if I'm wrong, that writers had sort of their trusted editors who kind of acted like book coaches for them, but all of that's gone now. That's exactly right. We have seen dramatic changes in our industry, and I think we are still seeing them. I think we're living through them. And just the advent of chat GPT in recent weeks even has upended what a lot of people are doing or thinking. And so many things change. And this flattening, I guess, is what we would call it of the the gate. There's no gatekeepers anymore. Anybody can publish and lots of people do publish. I just saw a statistic, I think this morning, I'm going to get the number wrong, but the number of books that are published each year is just astronomical. And it's gone up and up and up and up and up because anybody can click a few buttons and publish a book. Right. And the place where I where I sit is exactly where you say that it it used to be a writer was nurtured and had somebody who was in it with them, in the creative process with them, in the creative flow with them, helping them decide on their next project, do their best work, really bring out the idea that they most wanted to write. And that was baked into the process. And over time, it's been squeezed out of the process. And so writers have to find that for themselves and secure that that nurturing for themselves. And the danger of not doing that, unfortunately, is of all those millions of books that are published every year, many, many, many of them are not very good and don't sell very well. So the onus is, is kind of the burden and the onus is more on the writer, which has its pros and cons. But that's where we that's where we find ourselves. Yeah. Well, we should define a few things so people who aren't as familiar with the book coaching world know what we're talking about. So tell me a little bit about what a coach can and can't do and when in the process it's best to find them and kind of how you know you need them, all that all that kind of nuts and bolts stuff about coaching. Well, I love that question about what what a book coach cannot do. <laughs> um, because that that's a really important one. I think anybody that promises that they can help you make a lot of money, uh, help you land a big agent, land a big book deal, land a movie deal, anything like that is is not telling the truth. We can only control what what we can control. I think the best way to understand what a book coach does is to, well, there's two different ways. First of all, we all know what an editor does. An editor comes in when work is finished to make that work better. And anybody who's ever been well edited has adored that process because it, it often is the first time you feel like somebody's really paying full attention to what you're doing. Before that point, most writers are scrambling for 
eyes on their work or interest in their work from partners and spouses who maybe don't get it <laughs> to uh, people like their mom who are, are maybe going to either say that's that's nice dear or something worse or other writer friends who are mostly concerned with their own work and having an editor immersed in your work and caring about your work and reflecting back on your work is is a deep joy for a lot of writers what a book coach does is bring that attention to the work throughout the creative process so that instead of waiting till the end when you're done you have somebody in it while you're creating the work and while you're developing the work and so then that question of what does a book coach what can or a book coach can't do you can't there's no magic way to make writing a book easy there's just <laughs> not it's not easy and there's no magic way to prevent having to throw out pages or have false starts or be stuck or be in despair and doubt those things are part of the process what a book coach does is make you feel less alone in that, give you some guidance to get out of it perhaps faster or at least to normalize what you're going through, to help you make the vast number of decisions that a writer has to now make regarding the project, the positioning, the marketplace, how to bring the book to life, how to connect with an audience, all of those questions. So it's editing the work while the work is ongoing and also bringing a career guidance and a creative, uh, a sense of creative guidance to the project as a whole. So I like to say that we provide accountability, feedback, emotional support, and marketplace intelligence. I love the emotional support because I do feel like either, I either encounter writers who are way overconfident where they're like, I'm going to be the next JK Rowling or they're plagued by imposter syndrome so much that they can't get one word <laughs> in front of the other. And I'm, I'm sure you encounter both of those in your line of work too, but it sounds like, I mean, this could be just as much, you know, standing by somebody's side emotionally as it is procedurally through getting the book done. Well, the big insight that I have had in my career as a book coach is that there is never a project, I can say that without equivocation, there's never a project that doesn't at some point come down to being an emotional situation. Hmm. And, and by that I mean you can plot or plan out a book, you can plan out the project, you can hit all your deadlines, you can do everything you know right on track and, and according to design and you are still going to have to confront the emotions of creation. And I find that the more successful somebody is, the more that is true. Mm -hmm. And your notion that you encounter people who, have, who are overconfident, that gets stripped away when you're writing your second and third and fourth and fifth book you know that overconfidence is, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't belong. And so I think it gets harder and harder and harder. And I often feel when I'm deep in a project with a client that it's all emotion and, mm -hmm. and that the, all the other things that we're doing are offshoots of that or, or side, 
side concerns to that, that, that if the writer can, can get their, and by emotion, I'm using that word to mean in, in my blueprint books and my blueprint process, the first question of every, every blueprint for every category is why are you writing this book? So the answer to that, what your motivation is, where that motivation is coming from, whether it's coming from a place of anger or rage or injustice, or I've been writing a lot about memoir lately because I'm working on a blueprint for memoir book. And the idea of coming from a place of revenge, for example, Mm. in memoir is not a good idea, which has to do with your authorial distance from the events that you're writing about. But when I talk about emotion, I'm talking about all of those things as well as just how do I feel? So emotion is kind of a big umbrella for your relationship to the act of creating and what you bring to that relationship, the the powers that you bring and the doubts that you bring and where your motivations are coming from and what is driving you, what is stopping you. You use the words imposter syndrome and that plays an enormous role in writing a book because it's about raising your voice. It's about taking up space. It's about elbowing people out of the room so that you can be heard. And that's very, very hard for a lot of people, even people who are already doing that in other aspects of their life, it's hard. And so book coaching really comes down to all of that, as well as the editorial feedback and the structure of that book and how it's going to make its way and be positioned, all of those questions. In my mind, they, they're critical, but they, they end up feeling secondary. Yeah, one of the imposter the syndrome imposter things syndrome. that I've been dealing with lately is this, you know, the, the cycles of publishing. And I just feel like we've heard enough from white writers for a while, and it's it's not our time. And so that's one of the voices that keeps entering my head lately is maybe maybe it's not your time to tell a story. And I was just talking to Danny Shapiro about that a couple of weeks ago, and she she was saying that's just another version of imposter syndrome. I mean, these voices are well-trained to come at you hard, but that's how they do it. I'm trying to take that feedback, but it's still in there. Well, it's such an interesting situation because most writers, I think we can make a generalization, are sensitive and attuned to the world in particular ways. I think that's part of our superpower. We we see story, we see how humans move and we, we see things. And so part of what we see is, is what you're saying, that there's, there's shifts, there's seasons, there's times, there's that reality that it took us all a long time to see and to understand who was being left out of this industry and who didn't have a seat at the table, what stories we weren't hearing. Now that we hopefully are more aware of that. Yeah, that you're absolutely right. That understanding or that perception can, we can use that against our own selves. And, and it's not just a question of race. I, I recently read a book called The Bright Hour by Nina Riggs. And this is a, a memoir that she wrote while she was dying. She was a mother of two young boys and she's a 
descendant of Ralph Waldo Emerson, and I believe the bright hour, I may, I may have this wrong, but I believe it's a quote from Emerson, but this is an incredibly moving story. It's heartbreaking, beautifully told, beautifully designed. We know what happens. She dies at the end. Somebody else finishes the book. And while I was reading it, all I could think of was that this book was already written by Paul Kalanithi, who wrote When Breath Becomes Air Mm -hmm. about four or five years ago. Huge book. It sold so well and became a real staple in that kind of grief memoir category. And and I kept thinking while I was reading the Nina Riggs book, did she know? Did she not read that book? How could she be in the situation that she was in with with a disease that she was fighting and and not have read that book? And then I came upon in the pages of of her story that in fact she had read this book. Of course she had, right? <laughs> and what it meant to her. And she briefly mentions it and some other books and moves on. And that has just stayed so alive in my heart because you know she had that conversation with herself. Do we need another story of a writer dying of cancer? Does the world need another story when Paul Kalanithi did such an incredible job with his and it's, it's just riveting and why, why do we need my story? Maybe we don't. You know she had that conversation. The fact that that didn't stop her or sway her or whatever it is that she did to overcome that and realize that in fact, we do need it. We need all of those stories and all the permutations and all of the voices and all of it because we need books to help us know how to live and how to die. And thank goodness she wrote that book. And the next person who's going to have that same story, thank goodness they're going to write that book. So this, this idea that there can be only one or somebody got there first or somebody had that idea before me is kind of just crazy, but it stops so many people from writing. I'm so glad you said that. That's really a great insight. Well, and it goes to what I was saying before that the hard, hard work of writing is that raising your voice and taking up space and thinking people will care. I will write this in such a way that I will make them care. It's such an act of, I don't know what, hubris or confidence or something to to say that to yourself enough times over and over again that you actually get the work done. And I think that's the the biggest role that a book coach can play is helping you have those conversations and reset and get the work done and have those conversations again and reset and get the work done. (laughs) And that points to the fact that that the best coaching relationships are places where there's a great deal of trust and honesty and and that there's a container for a really honest feedback loop that that includes how that writer is feeling as well as what they're writing. Well, that brings me to my next question, which is how you know you are paired with the right person. I mean, it sounds like finding a the right book coach is a little bit like finding the right therapist. And it's not always going to be the best match. And I'm wondering if there are things that the writer should be on the lookout for in choosing a coach to know if the relationship is going to go the distance. 
I love that question. Thank you for asking it. I have a little pet peeve that I, I just got up on my soapbox about yesterday, actually. One of Author Accelerator's certified coaches was in a situation in which a potential client was demanding to know, well, how many of your clients have gotten six-figure book deals? How many of your clients have gotten on the bestseller list? How many of your clients have landed top agents? And coming at the coach with these metrics of success that they had internalized and had decided for themselves that whoever had those accolades was the person who was going to be the best book coach. And this particular coach had none of them. And I happen to know this coach very well. She's been in my universe and my program for about eight years. And she's an incredible coach. And she has honed a practice and a community that specifically serves LGBTQ plus memoir writers. Her name's Suzette Mullen. She herself over the last seven years has written a memoir that I believe the title just changed. And I believe it's the only way through is out coming out from the University of Wisconsin Press in 2024. So she has just incredible positioning to help this particular type of writer. And this type of writer who came to her was in fact looking for that kind of coach. But the writer came in with these, again, these metrics or these qualifications. And, and so when I say I got up on my soapbox, what you're looking for in a coach is, is not some sort of promise or guarantee of outside success in the world of publishing because nobody can guarantee that. And anybody who does guarantee that doesn't know what they're talking about. So what does that leave you with then? I think the thing you're really looking for is trust. Can I trust this person? And by that, I mean, can I trust them to tell me the truth, both good and bad? Oftentimes people don't wanna believe the truth when it's good. They only wanna hear things that are bad and they don't, you know, if someone's a perfectionist, they're never going to believe you when you say you think it's ready to, to pitch, you know? So it's, it's the, the trust that that person has your best interest in mind and, and that they've built some sort of a system or a process or a container where you can do your best work. So that's a sense of authority over what they're doing. And I, I can give you some other specific examples. I really push my coaches to be very specific in who they're helping and how they're helping them because of this thing that we're talking about. I was working this morning with a coach who her specialty is helping thriller writers get the last twist right. <laughs> Oftentimes thrillers fall flat at the end and she's developed this incredible language and process and understanding around teaching people the twist and teaching them usually they come with a finished manuscript so she's not teaching them from the beginning she's teaching them from the middle really and she's so good at this and she cares so much about it and she's so passionate about it and when i'm speaking with her around that all i can think of is the when the right people find you they're going to be so relieved so I think the thing for a writer to look for is that sense of this is what 
I've been looking for. This is what I need to do my best work. I trust this person to help me move forward in these specific ways that, that I, that I need help with, which sounds sort of vague and not very satisfying. Like a satisfying answer would be, well, find somebody who is a member of this organization and find somebody who's certified in this way and find somebody who's had X number of successes and find somebody, you know, I don't, I just don't believe that's how it works or what ends up mattering the most. I've seen incredible coach writer relationships build over the course of a year or two or three years as that writer is, is working on that project. And I think that's what you're looking for is who could you, who could you work with for a year or more to do this work that matters so much to you that you care so much about? That's what you're looking for. And, and all the other things we get so caught up in all the other things and they, they don't necessarily lead you to where you want to go. Well, your comment about the client who was so focused on metrics reminds me of your first point, which is to go back to the why are you doing this? And it sounds like his why was to get a six-figure book deal, which is not a great answer. Well, yeah. And if that, that actually brings up a really important point. I believe that your why has two components. One is external, what you want externally, and one is internal. So an external why could in fact be, I want to hit the New York Times bestseller list, or I want to make a whole bunch of money, or I want to land a traditional book deal. Sure, have those goals, but know that if you have those goals, there's very specific things you're probably going to need to do. It's going to probably take a lot of time, effort, energy, and money, and there's still no guarantee that it's going to happen. But, but those external goals are important to define what I think goes awry is when someone only has those external goals. So then you, you ask, you know, we want the internal goal. And it's, if I were to ask that writer and I've had that writer come to me often as well, I will say, why do you want those things? What do those things mean to you? And then we really get down to that internal why. And if they're honest, they may some say something like validation. I want to write this book to be validated by my peers or my colleagues or my industry. And those are the things that would, would validate me. And then I'll say something like, okay, but what about a writer like Michael Bungay Stanier comes to mind, whose book, The Coaching Habit, has sold more than 3 million copies. And he worked with a hybrid publisher and walked away from a traditional publishing deal. I believe it was at Workman and he walked away from that deal. Would that constitute success to you and validation? (laughs) And and then that writer, it's like, oh yeah, that would. So then it's like, okay, so it's not actually tied to the thing you think it's tied to. And then, you know, you dig, keep digging and dig, dig, dig. And it, you know, if you dig down far enough, And I've done this for my own self many, many times as well. You often get down to that thing like, I just want to prove to my dad that I'm good enough or something. I want the thing that I can wave in the face of that irritating friend who easily got all these accolades and I've been fighting and fighting and fighting and can't get them or those kinds of internal jealousies or envies or wanting to prove something And I think all that is incredibly helpful to know. We all have those things. And it's really helpful to 
to know what will make this book a success and what would make you consider it to be a failure. And then the decision is, are you willing to, to risk those things? And what are you going to do to mitigate those failures if they happen? And those are the kinds of conversations that, that a book coach is going to have because a book, what's so unique about a book is that it's written over such a long period of time. It's not something you just snap your fingers and it's done. And, you know, you and I were talking about the changes in me in my life in 16 years. Those kinds of big changes happen in a writer over the course of their developing a book and bringing it to life and publishing it and bringing it out. And I think if you don't tap into those deep level motivations and your deep level why and keep coming back to them and using them as a north star and a touch point it's pretty easy to get lost yes i mean i really haven't heard people talk about the importance of asking yourself these questions at any point in the process i mean they're so focused on the book they're not maybe focused on exactly why they're writing the book all those internal motivations You're listening to Writers on Writing. We will be back with more from Jenny Nash and author Accelerator and her book coaching in just a moment. Another quick reminder that this is our birthday month, our anniversary month, however you look at it, 25 years of Writers on Writing and one year of Patreon. So we're celebrating this month all month with some special goodies that, that we announced at the top of the show. Check out our Patreon page patreon.com slash writers on writing you can see all the benefits of joining up there and again if you join in april some extra special benefits coming your way so check us out there back to jenny nash and author accelerator and all of her book coaching So it sounds like people, regardless of whether they have an MFA or, you know, even a PhD in creative writing would still benefit, even if they've gone through sort of the, the capital T training of how to write a book, would still benefit from this sort of deep work as they're working through whatever the book is they're working on. Well, I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a very unique perspective in that. Author Accelerator has, as of today, I believe we've certified 157 coaches in fiction and nonfiction. And we have somewhere in the neighborhood of three to 400 students moving through our program. And the, the statistic that I am about to share is so surprising to me, but more than a third of those people have advanced degrees. So either PhDs in a lot in the humanities, but also anthropology, geology. I think we have two people with math PhDs. Wow. Um, so all different, all different kinds of academics are in our training program. And then huge number of people with MFAs. And so when I say that I have a unique perspective, I myself have neither an MFA nor a PhD. And 
what I believe is true is that most, the vast majority of those programs are not teaching book design, how to write a book from, from start to finish, how, how this creative process unfolds. They're, that's not what they're teaching because these students come into our program and I, I'm always kind of biting my nails, like waiting for somebody to come and say, can I have my money back? Because I already learned this in my MFA program or, I have a PhD, I don't need this. It turns out that I know it all. And the opposite happens. And most of the feedback that I get from these students in our program is nobody ever talked about this. Nobody ever talked about, like you're saying, the the why of writing a book or the the how, the whole unfolding of the process. Or from the book coach's perspective, we have a lesson, for example, in how to identify a writer, like a red flag where a writer is not serious about the work or not likely to finish or likely to be a problem for you. Looking at writing from that perspective, from that kind of holistic overview of the creative process perspective, the things that a MFA program or a PhD program teach are incredibly valuable and I would say that they they just come at it from a really different angle and you know from an academic angle and from an understanding of the inside the work if you will but we're really teaching a a process for moving somebody through the whole thing and so we're we're actually looking at context and all different aspects of that process i am continually surprised by how surprised people are by this content. And, and I think I'm fortunate that I didn't come up through those kinds of programs that, that I came up through the teaching writing in order to be published path. My first job was at Random House. I've always been attuned to publishing as a, that that's the outcome you're seeking and how do you get there and what are the requirements of of that and the first requirement is you got to finish the book <laughs> um so so that's the thing that we we teach is how do you help somebody finish a book who's who's got a life and who's got a dog that needs to go to the vet and kids who are homesick and you know all the things in a life and so it, it's a very different perspective from from academic programs. Absolutely. And all of the marketing and, you know, yeah, you're right. The business of publishing is is absent from those MFA programs. Well, let's talk a little bit about Blueprint for a Novel because it's such a useful book. I got so much out of it. And I should say at the outset that you can combine this book with any other method that you are comfortable using that came up towards the end of the book. So if you are a devotee of John Truby's Anatomy of Story or Robert McKee or Joseph Campbell, any of those, you can combine this method with those methods. So it's not to replace something. If you're a save the cat person, you can you can use this alongside of it. But first of all, I love the analogy of the architecture of building a house and how you would how you approach the novel as you would approach the blueprint for building a house. And I wonder if you could just kind of walk us through that introduction, that analogy, because it really kind of sets the stage of how important it is to think about a lot of things before you set pen to paper. 
Well, thank you for your your kind words and and for pointing out that at Author Accelerator, what we teach and with the blueprint, what we teach is to be tool agnostic. And that is because we're here for the writer and whatever's right for the writer is the tool that we should use. And if that's, you know, if you're certified in StoryGrid, then you should use StoryGrid. Or if you love Save the Cat, you should use Save the Cat. So all i say all tools are good if they help right? <laughs> um, and the the blueprint is was designed to fill a, a void in the process all of the methods that you've described story structure methods are are about managing the material laying out the the material and the content and what the blueprint is for comes before that and it's it's this foundation. And so the house analogy has to do with the fact that a lot of writers will come to, to an expert asking for advice and they ask things like, can you look at my query letter? Cause I want to get an agent. And, um, can you look at my website? How, how does it look? And from the house building analogy, that's, that's like choosing paint color. You know, it's so far down the road in terms of what you have to have built and solid to to succeed and so the the idea of a blueprint is is exactly as it is for building where you've got to know what you're going to build what the function of it is going to be how it's going to be used in the world who's going to live in that house who's going to be attracted to that house how is how is it designed to serve the person who's going to come to it and laying that really solid foundation with a with a blueprint is in my mind where a lot of writers go wrong they leap into some of those processes that you talked about the structuring or plotting if we're talking about fiction those processes they're so in their head with their world if they're world building or their characters or the things that happen that they have not stopped to ask themselves the these foundational questions and what i found as a book coach is that 99.9 percent .9 of the manuscripts that i would see needed the people needed to go back and ask these fundamental questions they had not asked them and you could see the flaws in the finished manuscript so I kind of went on a mission to make something to help people before they write all of those pages that don't work. And it's it's kind of a hard sell, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> people don't wanna be told that they have to, not that they have to, but they would be well served to do some of this work before they start to write. I made the blueprint deliberately quite short and there's 14 steps it's very easy it should not take you very long there's constraints on it so that it can't take you very long because i want people to be able to say you know if i just spend a week or two doing this work i will save myself literally it could be years of frustration on the other end and you asked earlier about what's the best time to use a book coach and and I would say that if you have even a very small budget to work with somebody, the time to do it is before you start to write. And 
get your blueprint solid, get that foundation solid, understand your why, understand what your ideal reader might want, understand where this book fits in the marketplace, understand on a high level what you're trying to do, what your point is, what you're trying to accomplish. And if you can get a little bit of feedback on that before you start to write, odds are very good that you're you're going to do a much better job and write a much better book. And as I said at the beginning, it's not going to save you. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not going to make it fast or easy or anything, but it is going to be less frustrating. You will feel more confident. And I believe you'll end up with a, a better product. I do it. I do believe you'll end up with a better product faster. It's just not going to be fast. But that's that's the promise of the blueprint is do all of the hard thinking before you start to write, because most of the time people are trying to think while they write. Oh, I was going to give a shout out to the person who who really cemented that idea in my mind, which is Rachel Aaron in her book, 2000 to 10,000. Mm-hmm. She talks about how you can sit down in a writing session and write 10,000 words instead of 2000 words. She's a a working writer and she needs to get words done fast and done well. And she, in this little book, she does a self-analysis and her conclusion is you can write better, faster, if you separate out the thinking from the writing. Most people Mm. are trying to think while they write. They don't know that that's what they're doing, but they're glomming the two things together. And that's what the blueprint does is it separates out, do the hard thinking first, then you can turn to doing the writing. Yeah, you have an analogy in there, which I think is so, it it was so relatable to me, which is that as a novelist, you have this very shimmery, beautiful home. You know what your ideal home looks like. You can picture it in your head. But then when the contractor shows up to say exactly how big do you want your kitchen? And you're like, I don't know, you know, big, big, big kitchen. Right. <laughs> right. And you're right. I mean, right. that was just so relatable of, yes, that's, that's how it, I have no idea. Really. I haven't thought it through. And I also loved, uh, you used another analogy. So the blueprint, I love the analogy of building the house and getting the foundation down. And then the coach is somebody akin to coming in and looking at your golf swing? I heard you say, you know, like your your hips aren't adjusted correctly, or so both of those in tandem. I think I can see how those can work together. That the blueprint, yes, will get you far off the ground, but it won't. You won't have the personal touch of the coach who would come in and say, "Okay, but your swing is off." Yeah. So what a what a coach is going to do? I keep talking about things I did this morning, and we're talking. It's just the middle of the afternoon. I had a really busy morning. I was going to say you did a lot today. Yes, <laughs> I, I taught a class. I did a coaching session, but I was I was working with a writer this morning who actually just did a beta read of my blueprint for a memoir book, and she went through all the exercises. And she did a beautiful job. What she produced was was really strong. And the the book that she's writing is a story of her own healing from a birth trauma, uh, a giving birth trauma. So when she gave birth, her body suffered a trauma, and her healing from that is is what she's writing about. And she laid out. She answered all the blueprints print steps, which are 
similar to the the fiction ones, but for memoir they they diverge obviously. But you know this outline with the takeaways for the the reader and what the transformation journey of herself as the narrator of a memoir is, and she had it was all just very solid, but there was something flat about all of it. It just it just felt flat and. So what I was doing in this coaching session with her is just asking a whole lot of questions. Well, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about the other thing? And, and just having a conversation where I was just noticing things. And some of what I was noticing was what she had left out of her outline. For example, it was, it, there was no context at all, nothing about her marriage or her child or her parents or her friends or her work, it was all centered in her body. And that could be a choice that a writer makes, but I want that to be a conscious choice. Is there no context on purpose? And in this particular case, she, it was not on purpose. She just had not known that, that she hadn't realized that she did that. So my just asking questions noticing things what about that what about the other she had this beautiful list of comp titles that she had developed and some of them were books about a pregnancy and motherhood some of them were books about feminine empowerment um some of them were books about the medical a fight against the medical community and she had organized them these comp titles in these categories. And what I was noticing and reflecting back to her is that it was unclear where her book would sit if she had to choose. It was kind of straddling all three of those categories. And again, the question I was asking her was, is that on purpose? Do you want to choose? Do you want this book to be seated within one of those categories? Do you want to cross genres what what does your reader need what do you want to give to them so just kind of pushing 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 those questions further 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 and usually in the conversation the writer's going i don't know i don't know <laughs> you know or <laughs> right. i didn't i didn't think about that or i'm not sure or, i have to sit with that but the outcome is going to be that she's going to go away from that conversation let those questions bubble up come to a decision her own self it's not like i'm telling her what to do she's she's going to come to some decision like yes i want to be seated in this particular category and no i don't want this to be a book that is just about the things that happen to my body i want this story to have a wider context and here's why i want that and she's just going to come to more clarity and i love nothing more than coaching the blueprint. I would do it all day long because it's the place where a book goes from good to great. And I could see a glimmer in this story that what she had done, had she gone off and written the book as she had outlined it and described it in her blueprint steps, it would have been a good book. It's a good story. She's a good writer. She has a good perception of what happened to her she has a good understanding of the books that her ideal readers reading she would write a good book but i think she has the capability of writing a really great book and i could see the gears turning that are going to get her toward that and 
it really just takes somebody listening and paying attention. And I actually think the literal listening is really important to the process, not just the words on the page. That's what remains in a book. At the end of the day, we only have words on the page. But in in coaching, it's I'm really listening to their voice and to their what they're saying and how they're saying it. If somebody's talking about well, there's three different directions this book could go and they're going through those three directions. I can hear the one that lights them up. You can hear it's different. And, Mm -hmm. and so then my job is just to say, did you notice how excited you were when you were talking about that one idea? And then oftentimes that will just open up something and they'll say, yes, I love that idea. And then my next question would be, then why isn't that the idea? (laughs) And, and that usually goes back to what you and I were talking about at the start of this conversation. They're usually scared. Like I'm scared to write that book. I'm scared to take that stance. I'm scared to go there. And then we're off talking about that. So the foundation, laying a strong foundation is, is an iterative process. It's a little bit slow and that's what frustrates people who just want to start writing. And I just think it's where so much of the heat lies. It's interesting you should say that because as you were talking about the flatness of her book, I was wondering if that was a consequence of adhering too closely to an outline, you know, that she kind of overthank it and and maybe overthunk it, overthought it, (laughs) overthought it. (laughs) And and got caught up a little bit in thought the magic out of it. And I don't know if you see any consequence of, because we always have this, you know, the, the pantsers and the plotters. And if you're too much of a plotter, you can kind of plot the magic out of it. And yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And if that's what she was risking doing there. Yeah, it's a really good question. I personally don't think it's possible to plot the magic out of something. I I am so firmly in the not panster camp that that I I just don't think it's possible. Maybe in the first iteration, but if you stick with that process long enough, I've just seen too many examples of of people who who allow this work to unfold long enough and push themselves hard enough and ask those questions and come back again and again and again that they those aha moments come in the structuring process and then the books they write i think the reason that i believe that is that i think creativity thrives within constraints Hmm. i really believe that to be true that you know the frame you put around the painting or the you know, if you are making a movie and you decide it's going to be set in the seventies and that the music is all going to be that vibe, all of those decisions and constraints that you put, make it what it is. And the, the idea that having no constraints is where creativity thrives. I just don't believe it to be true. And as soon as you start putting constraints on things, even a timeline, you know, this story is going to unfold within uh, the course of a week, or this story is going to unfold over three generations, you're making a decision that's a constraint and everything else has to live within that constraint. So 
the act of writing is the act of making those decisions and narrowing your choices. There's no way around that. So what we were talking about earlier, doing the thinking while you're writing, that's what pantsing is, is you're deciding while you write what that time frame is going to be. And it might take you 70 pages to figure out that you have to go back to square run one because you didn't make that decision from the beginning or people will end up with like multiple pov novels and they didn't they, they did never stop to think whose story is this they just have all these voices and the constraint needs to be whose story is it so you have to ask the, and answer those questions at some point so i i just don't think it's possible to take the creativity out of the process. I think a flat outline at the beginning is no different than a flat manuscript. The writer hasn't made the choices that make the conditions in which they can thrive. So I just don't, to me, it's not even a question. And the, the question I think is if you are a person who writes your way to the answers, you should be that person, right? <laughs> like embra embrace the fact that you're that person. It's like, I write my way to the answers. Therefore, I need a lot of time and I need to give myself a lot of grace and I need to be prepared to throw out a lot of pages and I need to be prepared to enter into a process where I give those pages to readers and they find logic problems or things that aren't working and I'm gonna have to go back and fix them. There are a whole heck of a lot of really great writers that work that way. And if you're that person, you should just acknowledge that's my process. That's the way I work. And therefore, Jenny Nash's blueprint sounds like the biggest nightmare of my life, right? <laughs> um, that that person should not enter into this process. But but I think just like writing, most people aren't intentional or aware enough about their process to be able to even say that, they'll say, well, I like to pants and plotting wrecks it for me and takes the mojo and the joy out and it's not fun. And so I'm a pant pantser and that's what I'm gonna do. And then the question I usually ask is, well, how is that working for you? Are you happy, <laughs> right, with your outcome? Are you happy with your time you're spending? Are you happy with your process? Do you?" feel comfortable in it? Is it, does it bring you joy? I mean, the process has lots of parts that aren't joyful, but I think there's joy in hard work, but, you know, asking how, how is that working? If somebody says, actually, great. I, I, it works for me. I love it. I do it. It, I set aside a year to do my draft. I, or I do NaNoWriMo and I kick out a, a terrible draft and then I sit down and I, you know, if they have that answer, it's like, that's awesome. But if they're like, well, no, I have three unfinished novels sitting in my drawer and I've been working on the same 50 pages of this other book for two years and I can't seem to get anybody to wanna work with me, you know, if I'm pitching to agents and, you know, I feel like I'm spinning in circles and I don't think I'm getting any better and the clock is ticking, then I would say, well, maybe try a different way. 
I forgot to ask one question that we had from a listener. I lobbed up that that you were coming on the show and uh, solicited questions. Somebody had a question about platform and podcasts. Apparently, some publisher gave them advice that you should be launching a podcast in conjunction with your book. But I think that goes to the larger question of platform. And I don't know if that's something you work with your writers on, maybe it's more important in nonfiction than fiction, but is is that part of the process as well as sort of building up their readership before they launch their book? Yes, I think it it can be. And it, the answer is very, very different for, for fiction, nonfiction, and, and memoir. The way that it enters into the coaching process is, is if somebody tells me that their goal is to get an agent and a traditional book deal, no matter what genre they're writing, their ability to connect with their readership is going to play into that decision that the publisher is going to make way more so on the nonfiction and memoir side than on the fiction side. You can write a fantastic novel and live in a cave and, and never have anything to do with any platform or social media. And it can be plucked, plucked out of the slush pile and and lifted up and celebrated that that is a thing that still can absolutely happen it can sometimes happen in memoir as well but i think it's getting harder and harder in memoir to publish that kind of book um, we're seeing more and more what people call memoir plus which is memoirs that also have some sort of cultural awareness component or social component or research or that sort of thing. And then on the nonfiction side, you're running a big risk if you don't have a platform. So it it really depends on the genre. And I would say that <laughs> I would say that in general, anybody who says you have to do X is is maybe not to be trusted because <laughs> the idea that you have to have a podcast in order to publish a book is preposterous, really. Like, what if you have 500,000 Instagram followers? Do you have to have a podcast? No. What if you have, oh, I worked with a client who had a robust speaking career. She did 40 keynote speeches a year, and she barely even had a a mailing list. She had a speaking agent and, and was very popular. Does that person need a podcast to get a book deal? No. You know, so it, that's sort of silly. And it's, you'll hear the same thing. Like you have to be on Instagram. You have to be on TikTok now. You you have to be doing videos. You have to do X, Y, and Z. You know, any anybody that says that it it's not, it's just not right. But all of that being said, your ability to understand who your reader is, understand what they're reading, how they're finding authors, how they're connecting, to their readers, your ability to understand that is going to make you a good partner for your future publisher, whether that publisher is a university press or a small press or a hybrid press or a traditional publisher, or if you publish your own self, that skill of knowing how books are pressed from hand to hand and friend to friend and knowing how the the universe works in terms of finding out about books and your particular book and how that works. You have to know that. And, and if you don't know that, I think you're just fooling yourself. So it's, it's being aware of 
the fact that authors have to be involved in the marketing of their books now and understanding how that might go. An example that I recently encountered that I think is a good one is I'm blanking on the name and I'm sorry. It's the book Wintering, I think. Oh, yeah. The writer's name. Catherine. Um, is it Catherine? I'm Scandinavian, um, yes. About Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and it's this Wintering is a um, sort of it's a memoir with some with some how to elements or prescriptive elements about seasons of rest and taking taking time to slow down and recharge in in your life and that book has done really well in the marketplace and i believe that she also published a journal to go with it and i know that she partnered with a candle company to make particular kind of candle and and so this marketplace awareness of how her book is being used and who was using it and what type of person was was buying it and what other things they would they would need or do whilst wintering you know (laughs) that um is just genius it's just it's not like oh you have to have a marketing tie-in and you have to productize your book and you have to it's not like that slick salesy thing it's just a deep understanding of who that reader is and what are they getting from that experience of of reading your book and and who are they in the world and and what is the context that they're living in and why is that book being pressed from hand to hand and that sort of understanding so in a perfect world i i'm very good friends with a man named dan blank he runs a company called we grow media and he's a book launch specialist. So he helps people after they've written the book to prepare for that book to come out into the world. And we're in a mastermind together. And Dan and I are constantly saying that in a perfect world, people would start marketing when they came to me for the blueprint, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, so yeah. that they yeah. would they would start thinking about that and laying the groundwork and figuring out how they wanted to connect with their future reader and how they wanted to be in the world and what their i'm using air quotes brand is as an author they would be thinking about those things from second one and the the problem with that of course is like who has time (laughs) like just trying to write this book so you know there is no perfect world so i would say to that listener you don't need a podcast if a podcast is the thing that would enhance what you're doing and help you build and help you connect with your future ideal reader, it could be a beautiful and wonderful thing, an awesome thing to do, but don't just do something because somebody said it's what you have to do, I guess. Figure out what's right for you and what you want and what your goals are and what, what you can do to try to bring them to life. I only laughed about the podcast because I have a podcast and the world needs no more damn podcasts. We've been doing it for 25 years. So I'm like, it's enough of the podcast. But anyway, I take (laughs) your point. I love your point. So tell us how we find you. You have the the Author Accelerator website is wonderful and people can learn about becoming a book coach in addition to finding a book coach. And you have a wonderful website, but how, how best do you recommend people find and stay in touch with you? I would visit jennynash.com backslash blueprint 
there are a lot of resources there, some free downloads and things around the blueprint books and the blueprint for memoir will be on that page um, shortly after this conversation uh, airs a few few months anyway. So I would start there. And I think authoraccelerator.com is a great place to learn about book coaching. Like you said, using one or becoming one, we are weeks away from launching a searchable database for our book coaches. And we hope that 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 database is searchable for all those quirky, intangible, sort of weird things that make for good writer coach matches. That's not just have you helped 12 New York Times bestsellers, but what kind of <laughs> person are you and and how do you coach and what do you love and how can you actually help help me? Those questions that a writer really needs to answer. So uh, that will be at authoraccelerator.com very shortly. And hopefully that will be a fun resource for people to use. Yeah. And all your free downloads are wonderful. There were checklists and it was, there's so much there. So yes, I, I highly recommend people check that out. Jenny Nash, we'll have to do this again. We're not going to wait 16 years. <laughs> I I think this is the first. Oh, that's not true. I've been back on other podcasts, but this is certainly the longest and so delightful. Thank you so much for having me and for thinking of me again. And honestly, what you've been doing for the length of time you've been doing it is an incredible achievement. And talk about being helpful to writers. What a What a gift you have given them. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, this year is 25 years for the show, which is just wow. nuts. And yeah, wow. I know. Just nuts. Just nuts. Well, thank you so much. We'll have you back. Thank you. That was Jenny Nash. She is a book coach and founder of Author Accelerator. You can find more about her at authoraccelerator.com or jennynash.com. In addition to our Patreon page and all the Patreon hoopla that's going on this month, you can always visit our websites. Barbara's is penonfire.com. Mine is Marie Stone, two R's in Marie, M-A-R-R-I-E-S-T-O-N-E.com. You can always subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and Stitcher. As always, our fantastic music and sound design was provided by Travis Barrett. You can find him at travisbarrett.mykajabi.com. That's all the time we have for today. Tune in next week. Thanks so much for joining me and have a great day.